to the next episode of In Development. My name is Mariah, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change toward people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Enfield Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. On the program today, we are blessed to have Lindsay Butterfield from the City of Edmonton as our guest. She's a registered professional planner. She's worked um, for two decades in the Metro Edmonton region um, as a professional city planner, first with the City of Spruce Grove, and then for the last seven years with the City of Edmonton. Um, She was leading the regional development team and then took on the task of starting the growth management framework, which we talk about in the episode. It's a key pillar of implementing Edmonton's city plan. Um, She takes a deep dive into city parks, leading the urban growth and open space section. Um, She has a passion for long-range planning policy, and she actually recently completed a certificate in mediation, which is very interesting and exciting. Um, And she's also excited to take on those new challenges that hone her new skills in mediation and negotiation. She loves a crunchy problem that brings together different subject matter experts, and she's always doing something new and creative, and that's why she likes taking on those hard problems. Um, she di- she enjoys the discovery of a new saison on the patio of a local brewery here in town. She loves family ski trips, checking out new restaurants around Edmonton. She loves the River Valley, and she holds a master's degree from Dalhousie University in urban and rural planning. We are very happy to have her on. There's only one definition that we need to have um, you know about before we get into the episode here. We talk about a riparian ecologist, which none of us could really define. They fall under uh, Lindsay's purview on her team. Um, All I really know, Mariah, we'll talk about it a little bit. All I really know about riparian ecologists is uh, not much, but the riparian area is kind of the, the interface between like flat land and uh, the river. So think of our river and water bodies. So think of like the banks of rivers and water bodies and the, the area around that, that has like um, different kind of topography and slope and then uh, different kinds of plant and vegetation. So it's those kinds of things. So I imagine a riparian ecologist studies those areas. Do you know anything more about it or should we just leave it at that? I have no idea what a riparian ecologist is. I can barely say the words. So we'll leave it at that. Before we get into today's episode, um, it's not a fact, but it is a fact of life that Lindsay's house is going through renovations. Uh, So you will hear uh, construction work in the background, nail guns, all that jazz. Uh, She's doing a big reno. It's going to look fabulous. The stairs are going in today. But she's leaving on a two-week vacation, much, much deserved. So we got her before she left. So we're in the construction industry. We're in the construction world. Say lovey. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, today we have a really exciting episode. We have Lindsay Butterfield here with us today. She is the Director of Urban Growth and Open Space Planning and Environment Services in Urban Planning and Economy. She's also a registered uh, professional planner and has worked in the region her whole career. And recently she just uh, completed a certificate, or I'm not exactly sure what it is, but a mediator in conflict management, which sounds like the coolest thing ever. And I want to ask you more questions about that because I want to take that course. That sounds fantastic. Before I ask you about all of that, though, I hear you have a great announcement for uh, us and all of the listeners here today. Yeah, I guess this will be like breaking news, Mariah. I'm really excited to be here to talk about urban growth and open space. 
Um, I've also just accepted a new role with the city of Edmonton as the city plan urban strategist. So this will be a great opportunity um, for us to continue working on how the city plan gets implemented across the corporation and, you know, with key important stakeholders like the folks at IDEA. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to have you back in like six or eight months once you've got your groove and your new role to talk about city plan implementation. Okay, before we get into all of that, how long have you been in the department? I'm not going to say it all over again because the city has like really long department names. Yeah, uh, so I've been with the city of Edmonton for seven years. I've definitely been in a, in a few different departments through that time, um, just because of changes in the organization. But uh, I started in the regional development area uh, and was there for quite a while. In the last three years, I have been in this position with urban growth and open space. And, and it was a new uh, sort of reforming position when I stepped into it a few years ago. Yeah, you and I have been working together on growth management framework for quite a while now, I think two years, um, and offsite levies before that. So you've had some really cool projects under your belt. Uh, but what first made you fall in love with urban planning? Why did you decide to get into the career? I was in sociology as my undergrad degree. I, I went to the University of Alberta here in Edmonton. Um, loved sociology, loved how it sort of talked about our institutions and, and how our society is the way it is because of the way those institutions function. And I had a professor who really thought I would be a, a good candidate for grad school, but he thought I would be a perfect person to work at Statistics Canada doing demographic research, which I do enjoy. Um, but it kind of got me thinking about like, what are my next steps? And, and the thought of working with statistics, just uh, even though I, I do love a good stat, um, it wasn't what I was looking for. And I actually saw in the student paper an advertisement for a degree in urban planning. And just like those words, urban planning, I was like, what is that? I actually had to, at the time, we didn't really have a lot of internet um, I'm sure some of your listeners will remember, but maybe others won't when there was no real internet. So I had to go to the student center and actually take out like course catalogs from universities to figure out what urban planning was. Um, and as soon as I read a few of those descriptions, I was hooked. I was like, I know that's what I need to do. That hits all the things I'm interested in. It's creative. It's about problem solving. It's about where we live and how it feels in those places we live. So, yeah, I, I ended up going to Dalhousie University to do my master's, and it's fantastic. I'm so happy I am where I am. What did you end up doing your master's in? So it was in urban and rural planning. Uh, that was the, the master's degree at Dal. Yeah, and it was a course-based, so I was able to get my credentials for um, to, to join the uh, Canadian Institute of Planners, and I also did a thesis on gated communities. So that was Ooh. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have thoughts on gated communities. Um, <laughs> what drives your passion for long-range planning? It's I find it so interesting because I have a love-hate relationship with long-range planning. Yeah, that's fair. I, it's definitely not for everyone. Um, I think the reason I like it is because I like complicated problem solving. And I like bringing together different like threads of information 
And so when you're thinking long range, you have to think about what are all the different components that are related to this specific problem. And part of that is I just love learning about other areas of business outside of like the current planning, you know, the sort of subdivision and zoning that's really the nuts and bolts of the profession. Uh, I love learning about, you know, like having a discussion with someone from waste management about why does the waste have to be collected the way it is, you know? just as an example, but I love learning about all of the different functions and how all of those different things contribute to the way our city looks and feels. It's fascinating to me. So I love pulling at all those threads and then thinking about, well, what are the implications of this, not just for tomorrow, but like over 20, 40 years. And and so that's just something I enjoy. Again, no, it's not for everyone. Uh, You went to an awesome school, Dalhousie. That's a great school. It's in a really cool city. Why did you move back to Edmonton? So I moved back to Edmonton because a lot of the opportunities when I graduated in 2003 were um, like rural New Brunswick. And I have nothing bad to say about rural New Brunswick, but I'm definitely a city person. And so I knew that that wasn't going to be something that would make me happy uh, to live in that kind of context. I moved back to Alberta really because 2003, things were really taking off. There was a boom. There were a ton of job postings. I grew up in Fort Saskatchewan, so I was able to crash with my parents for a couple months while I was job hunting. Um, and yeah, there were a ton of opportunities. I, I ended up working in Spruce Grove as my first job and, and stayed there for quite some time. But that's how I ended up back here. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about your current role with urban growth and open space. Can you tell us about what the, the department has two arms, right? Urban growth and then open space. What are those two arms? Uh, are they the same, different? What, what, what kind of goes into your role? Yeah, so urban growth and open space is my section. Um, and, and it is really kind of two discrete elements. So the urban growth piece is um, related to growth management, but also just anything about how the city grows and how we understand that. So Mariah already mentioned offsite levies. Um, we have the SSSF, which is our deep trunk sewer fund network. Um, and so I manage that. I also have the monitoring team, which looks at all the data of where is infill happening? Where is growth happening? And, and we try to um, evaluate not only where's the city growing and how is it growing, but also we're looking at doing some predictive work in the future so that we can understand where stuff is going to happen. Um, so that's all related to that growth piece. The open space piece is completely discrete. And, and my parks area is really the, the strategy end of parks for the city of Edmonton. Uh, So we have a few different functions there. One is policy and strategy development. So what kind of open space quality and quantity do we want to have? Uh, We have another group that does sort of our land evaluation and acquisition. So um, where do we want to purchase land? Um, We work with the school boards on surplus land to uh, make sure that we provide parks in perpetuity for neighborhoods. And then, of course, the other piece is the, the land development application review. So anything with an open space component um, is reviewed by my team. And, and I have some like really bright ecologists working in that group um, so that we can make sure that the municipal reserve and environmental reserve is um, taken properly and that it aligns with our plans and with uh, the network needs for open space. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about those plans in a bit, but do you also work with um, Epcor closely on park spaces? I know they've been redesigning some park spaces, uh, Father Ivor Daniel Park, Park Allen School, to have like a stormwater management component. Are you also working with them on projects like that? So the stormwater management piece, we're kind of peripherally involved in that. So definitely there's some involvement, but yeah, I, I would say that that's... Um, a little more on the real estate and, and operations side of things. So we've got like a finger on that pulse for sure. Uh, but yeah, we, we definitely are working really closely with Epcor on growth management on that infrastructure side of things. Where are the pipes um, and where do they need to be? Um, so that, that piece is definitely important and we work closely there. For sure. Yeah. And also um, uh, one of the, areas I guess that you would focus on would be the river valley is that right and Epcor has outfalls into the river valley so I imagine you're quite uh, tied with uh, with stuff like that as well so uh, they do neighborhood renewal which changes some of the the pipes and the outfalls and that type of thing are you involved in kind of the nitty-gritty of that as well or just from a, a high level perspective yeah so I have a, a riparian ecologist so he is uh, he's the guy who works on that sort of thing um, and a shoot is wonderful in terms of, you know, understanding uh, what's happening with our creeks as they flow into the river, uh, working with outfalls. I also know that our, um, our climate team is really closely involved with that because, of course, uh, we as the city and also EPCOR are worried about um, changes in the climate. And, and particularly when you get these really intense rain uh, periods. So if you think back to the June we just had, for example, um, raining like never before. I have flowers in my yard that I swear I've never seen before. Like it's it's really interesting to see sort of the immediate impact. But then of course, there's huge impacts in terms of is our river safe? Um, you know, people needing to be rescued and that sort of thing. So it's definitely a concern. So you mentioned, what is a riparian ecologist or if I'm <laughs> even saying that right? <laughs> you would have to ask him. I, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's another series of uh, of technical degrees and lots of research and education. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know what they call it when you have the opposite of a green thumb, but that is pretty much <laughs> what I have. I almost killed an aloe plant over the pandemic. So <laughs> I think it's a black thumb, and I got yeah. one too. So yeah, I'm there with you, Mariah. Yeah. At one point, I thought that. Um, I was like, plants need sunlight. That's the most important part. So I would move my plants from window to window in the day. And I, you know what plants don't like? They don't like to be moved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand why they're dying. <laughs> like, it's a good theory, right? It's a good theory. <laughs> <laughs> Learnings from the pandemic. Um, yeah. Okay. Edmonton has Breathe as it's a 30-year strategy that's working to help us be a sustainable and healthy cities. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the projects that you, your team has worked on in regards to Breathe? Yeah, I'm really excited actually for this upcoming budget cycle because we're putting a couple of things forward uh, to implement from Breathe that I think will be really impactful. Uh, so one of those is actually just to better define our open space network. Um, and that's going to be in alignment with the district plans that are being undertaken. Yeah, so the exciting thing is we're going to be layering onto the district plans a better understanding of what our open space network is, which will be in the plans, but then also what are the gaps there. And so one of the things that Breathe has made us think about is not just how much park space do we have, 
but also what kind of park space do we have and what's the quality of that park space. And so we'll be able to do some work uh, that actually looks at what is the function of any given piece of parkland and then where are our gaps. So we want to make sure that people have spaces to um, you know, do sports like soccer, have recreation. We want school fields to be there. Um, we want playgrounds to be available for kids. Uh, but we also want passive open space so that people can go for walks, uh, you know, take their dog out or, or their cat. I've seen more of that recently. Um, and, and also places for people to gather and, and have celebrations, um, not just at the citywide level, but also in smaller areas um, at, yeah, at that district scale. And that's all part of 15 minute communities. Okay, the other piece I'm really excited about is that uh, we've realized over the last little while that um, some of the infill that's happening is actually creating problems in terms of how do we make sure that we have parks. Um, and there are definitely neighborhoods in the mature parts of the city where there was no municipal reserve requirement. And so that reserve is still owing. Um, but some of the bigger projects, we don't really have a good way of allocating where that space should be, as well as if we take cash in lieu rather than land, where should that cash actually be spent um, so that we're not, for example, overbuilding parks in the downtown area when there are areas in the periphery of that that also need open space. So that's that's a policy piece that we're going to look at related to growth management and how we provide parks as the city starts to intensify more. I'm happy you brought that up. That's because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but municipal reserve uh, cash and lieu goes into like a general fund that can be applied anywhere in the city. Is that right? Well, so we have some specific reserves, so I won't get in too much detail, but we definitely have catchment areas where the reserve funding has to be spent. And so some of that's helpful, but some of it definitely can be a barrier to doing the right thing. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned you're excited about some uh, potential funding opportunities coming up. Have you noticed kind of a difference um, in terms of a focus on parks and open space with the new council versus the old council? Or is it fairly the same? Or I'm just curious why you're excited about bringing this funding forward now. I think I'm excited about bringing it forward just because it feels like it's the the thing that we need to do to move the needle on um, parks in mature areas. It's it's really well understood how that happens in Greenfield, but it's been a bit more of a challenge um, in existing neighborhoods. So I'm just looking forward to that opportunity to sort of crack that nut. It almost seems like because we have city plan, it kind of created that like foundation to unravel all of these different like questions open space, parks, heritage, uh, like tons of things that I just, I love watching what the next steps of city plan implementation is, which is why I'm definitely having you back on. You kind of had mentioned a little bit about um, different types of recreational uses. So whether it's uh, walking through uh, or it's soccer or basketball or, or uh, skate parks or whatever it is, is there a way that the city kind of determines like what are the high demand things that we need to kind of invest in now or what will be the high demand things? I've heard pickleball is really, really popular and I'm sure it's going to be in high demand for the next 40 years as we age as a uh, community. True story. I got pickleball rackets last year. My husband ordered them up. Uh, <laughs> do you, okay, I haven't played. Do you like the sport? 
yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I'm like, I, I am not agile enough to like start learning tennis. So pickleball was definitely my speed. Um, yeah, I also feel that way. I am not an agile person. So I'm like, I've lost a little bit over the years. I'm not in the, you know, competitive volleyball shape I used to be once upon a time. Well, there's definitely needs assessments that get done. I can't speak too much to the details of that because that's uh, something in in community services that they look after. But definitely, um, again, from a policy and and quality of the park space perspective, that's something that um, that my open space team works with community services on. Uh, that's really cool. It's exciting to kind of see those gaps in mature neighborhoods and start to figure out ways that we can fill them in. So I guess my question then is, uh, with City Plan, Breathe predated City Plan, but I think there's a lot of overlap in there. But how do you implement Breathe with City Plan and vice versa? Are they completely in alignment? or? So the great part about how the City Plan was actually developed is that all of these policy components were looked at. Um, and so anywhere that there was um, a misalignment, that was identified. I would say that the way that the blue and green network was outlined in the city plan, there there isn't that misalignment. So it really is about, you know, carry on. Um, luckily, Breathe was adopted shortly before the city plan went into development. So it was a, a really good starting point for that green and blue network. So I have a very random tangent question for you, and this is really specific for one of our volunteers. And if you don't know about it, that's totally fine. But there's been a lot in the news about the River Valley becoming a national park or something along that lines. Is that something that your department has to respond to or or work towards? Yeah, so that is something that I've been involved with um, is the National Urban Park. Um, it's definitely kind of at that policy level right now. Um, so Parks Canada is leading uh, that particular initiative, uh, but we do have several partners. So we are meeting with Parks Canada, the province of Alberta. Uh, we also have a Confederacy of Treaty 6 and Métis Nation 4 at that partner table. And what we're working through right now is sort of... Um, understanding where a location might be for that park and then what kind of governance considerations we need to make as partners for the long term. It's very early stages, so um, I definitely don't have too much concrete to share um, because we don't have anything yet. Uh, but that should start to become a little more clear over the fall, I believe. And and uh, we're also working with a large number of stakeholders on identifying sort of what their interests and needs and priorities are for that um, there will also be an opportunity for all of Edmonton to weigh in. Uh, so we're hoping to have some engagement open later this year, and uh, it'll be a good opportunity for people to better understand what it might look like and, and yeah, just put their opinions and thoughts into the mix so that we can make sure that whatever happens, that it serves the needs of our community. That's really exciting. Um, for those who don't know, myself included, how did it get on the table of things that we're looking at? What are maybe some of the benefits that people, that a group maybe or someone kind of highlighted that pushed the conversation forward? Yeah, I think um, this is a new initiative from Parks Canada. So they're looking at really getting more people to national parks and getting more people in urban settings to parks is, is a great way to do that. You know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to Banff for the weekend. It's expensive, it's far. And so this is a great way to provide sort of that 
experience within a large urban center. And so there are a number of them across Canada. Uh, I think really the thing that I'm excited about is that it aligns so well with the goals that the city of Edmonton has. And so that's really about um, how do we make sure that we preserve the ecology of an area? How do we provide opportunities for reconciliation with Indigenous communities? Uh, how do we provide education about those things to the general population? And uh, yeah, just providing access, I think, makes me really excited. It helps to kind of boost that equity piece that uh, we're very concerned with at the city right now and, and considering in all of our projects and decisions. Your section's also working on uh, the River Valley Modernization Project, which uh, I think is called the Ribbon of Green Project as well. Can you talk about that and where it's at? Yeah, so the River Valley Planning Modernization is actually two different things. So it is the Ribbon of Green, as you mentioned. Um, it is also the River Valley Area Redevelopment Plan. So that's a statutory plan. Um, it's really the, the guidelines and regulations about how things happen in the valley, whereas the Ribbon of Green is a strategy document. So it gives us that high level. What do we want the valley to be? What's the vision? Um, where are areas that are special and need to be uh, preserved from an ecological perspective, from a historic perspective, perhaps? Um, and then what are the areas of activation um, and, and what kinds of activation do we want to see there? So it's, it's really about how do we make sure that our regulations are uh, implementing the strategy. And so it's great that both of those are moving forward in tandem. Yeah, agreed. It seems like a river valley is so many things, right? You just talked, it could also be a national park in the future or part of it anyways. But, you know, it's used for recreation, uh, transportation, active transportation, also naturalization, ecology. How do you balance that in a redevelopment plan? Well, you can't balance it. And that's really the trick. So it is about choices. It's about tough decisions. Um, and, and some of that is about, you know, the technical information that goes into decision making. What do we understand about the area and the ecology, the ecological features? Um, what are the areas we, I mean, we have a lot of central area parks that are very well used and we have things like Folk Fest and the Heritage Festival. And, and these are all amazing things, great ways to celebrate who we are as Edmontonians. But then we have to look at, well, what are the what are those areas that we have to you know, keep people away from? Um, they're special for a reason because there are rare plants there. They allow species to navigate through the city safely without getting hit by cars. Um, and so those are important pieces about making choices, not about creating a balance between the two. Yeah, for sure. I saw a porcupine once in Mill Creek Ravine, which was the craziest experience of my life as I was trying my hand at mountain biking. So I think, you know, there's lots of different players in the River Valley that uh, that need to be considered. I'm curious about, um, you, you mentioned you have planners on your staff that are really into data and you're collecting a lot of this data. How are you uh, giving this data out to residents? Like, are there tools that Edmontonians can use to learn more about parks and open spaces in their neighborhoods or in the city? Yeah, Ryan, there's a fantastic interactive web link. Um, I don't want to say it offhand in case I get it wrong, but I'll make sure that Mariah has it so that it can be linked in the information. Yeah, I've checked it out before and it is really great. I will make sure it's linked in the description of the podcast episode so you can learn all about the city and all the different layers. It is just the coolest thing ever. I feel like the city almost needs like a list like a one way one page with like all the lists of the really cool maps 
um, so that people can like learn more about. I'm a visual person, so I would appreciate that. Uh, but I don't know who to talk to about that. <laughs> I feel someone. like really cool maps could be a really uh, subjective <laughs> criteria, so that that might be a tough one. <laughs> so, or just like Mariah's maps. Mariah's <laughs> maps. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about my favorite project that's currently going on right now, the growth management framework. Um, so I'll, I'll gush about it later, but can you tell everyone what it's about? Yeah, well, growth management is really about making sure that our growth continues to happen in a strategic way that makes sure the city is more financially sustainable, climate resilient and equitable. So it's really about continuing growth. Um, ensuring that we have a healthy supply of housing, but shifting the geography of where that is. So in the end, it's about changing the growth pattern, not growth itself. That's really fantastic. One thing I really like about it is um, we often talked about uh, as our city, we have these like 10 year plans to help our city move forward. And our last plans, the ways were really great, but people not, people often reference that we didn't have the teeth. And I find that this project is like a really big part of the teeth of implementing city plan. As uh, as your team and department works on it, um, what are some of the things that council, uh, that the city of Edmonton and your team are looking to achieve? Yeah, well, I think what's important to note is that the city plan is really structured around, we call them population horizons. So the entire plan is about how the city is going to double in population to 2 million. Um, but we're focusing on the horizon. So with growth management, for example, uh, that first population horizon is 1.25 million. And our goal during that period of time, whatever it ends up being to that population number, is to make sure that we are setting the table to accelerate a shift in the growth pattern. So it's not about changing it immediately. And I think the more people understand that, the more they're able to get behind it, that we're not here to like shock the system and create all these rapid changes. It's about working with the people who do land development and do construction and understanding what are the things that we can get out of your way to make things easier um, and, and what are the real key challenges? And we've been very fortunate because council has really taken the time to understand that. And so they're supportive. Our senior leadership is absolutely supportive. Um, and, you know, members of industry as well. So folks in IDEA, but also um, really key stakeholders like EPCOR. We've had some very preliminary discussions even with, you know, the school boards about long-term strategy for how we manage land for schools. And, and it's all been really positive. So I think as we're able to under, you know, explain here are the merits of doing things a little bit differently. Um, it's been met with, um, you know, sometimes a little bit of tepid support, but support overall. And so our job is to keep building the program, the growth management framework in a way that is helpful and that will create positive changes for industry and for Edmontonians. Changing a system that's been uh, done a certain way for many decades is very difficult. Uh, as you talk with groups like IDEA, but also other organizations, uh, EPCOR, city, uh, school boards, I'm sure there's others that are on your hit list. What are some of the things that your team has uncovered as barriers that maybe you didn't know before, before having the conversations? to making those changes? 
I mean, there's there's been so much learning. Um, so it's been a really interesting thing to tackle. I, I think it's it's interesting because there's a lot of big things. So stuff like uh, needing, you know, major, major upgrades done in specific locations by Epcor. And it's like, well, okay, like that's a, that's a big thing. That's a lot of money to make that change. Um, but Epcor has really been amazing in jumping on growth management as a way to help them understand as well, where their investments need to be made. And so I think like the, the key thing for me was hearing over and over that people want certainty. They want certainty about what's going to happen and where it's going to happen. And if we can set that up and then follow the path that we've set, then I think that certainty will be in place. And that'll give a lot of reassurance to maybe some of the folks who, who still aren't convinced. And, and that's okay that they aren't. Um, I think it's our role to like show them that we are going to do what we say. And then, you know, like there's been a lot of small things like sometimes having a power pole in a specific spot in an alley can actually like kill an entire project because of the cost of relocating that pole. And so, the, yeah, it's been from like huge things to small things and everything in between. Um, it's been really, really an interesting path to walk. Yeah, I call them our unsexy problems as a as <laughs> infrastructure as a city. Nobody wants to pay for uh, moving around guy wires and power poles or building a really big pipe under a street and having to rip it up all summer long. Um, I I know I've been through it. My parents uh, live in Millwoods and have lived through uh, drainage renewal projects until we kind of create a game plan until of how we're going to make those changes. And like that's why I'm so excited about your team's work is it's the strategy and the game plan. Yeah. Yeah. And it is incremental changes. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to be Montreal overnight with medium scale development everywhere and great patios and main streets. Uh, but we're working towards it. We're getting more spaces like Richie Market and Kind Ice Cream bringing people out. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I think we do have great patios and great streets, but yeah, we, we're going to get more of them. Hundred percent. I uh, I've coerced Ryan this afternoon to go for a, a patio drink for with me. Uh, a shout out to Odd Company that has one of my favorite patios in the city. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. Your pro your project also talks about priority based budgeting, and for those who don't show up at council regularly, uh, such as myself, can you share with people what that actually means? Yeah, so priority-based budgeting, um, it, it's definitely not a new concept, but it's something new for the city. And it really is about making sure that where you spend your money is aligned with your strategic goals and the outcomes you want to achieve. Um, so while I'm definitely not an expert, I'm not a member of the budget office, so I, I only have a, a limited framework for understanding all of the details. But definitely uh, this time around with this budget that's going forward to council, um, there is scoring being done against our big city moves. Um, and so those are part of the city plan. It's the greener as we grow, uh, rebuildable city. There's, yeah. Uh, so it's making sure that each one of those is framed against each of the things being put forward for budget. And so, of course, there are going to be things that don't hit those strategic goals, but they're necessary for how Edmonton works. Um, and so there's a bit of a, a balance to be had there between things we know we have to do anyway. Um, and then, well, with with the strategy, what other kinds of choices do we make about where we spend our money? And that really is what growth management is about, too. It's about identifying the locations where we can provide investment as a municipality and that will help 
kind of remove those barriers to growth in established areas. So identifying those locations sounds a lot like priority growth areas. Uh, Is that what you're referencing? That is what I'm referencing, yes. Can you give a breakdown of what that, like how a priority growth area may be created, what kind of thought process goes into it? I know it's a a bunch of voices and a bunch of data that goes into it, but um, yeah, let's get into it. It's mostly data. So yeah, you're right. It's about um, some of the modeling that was done for the city plan. And and we're talking now about how often do we revisit that modeling? We're doing things like we just kicked off a project, a little mini project called the Market Redevelopment Index. And so that index that we're developing will help us better understand uh, where growth is starting to happen already. So rather than just measuring it after it happens, to start to pinpoint, oh, okay, like, We've got a neighborhood really taking off uh, within a specific district and then being able to look at where is the priority growth area in that district or areas, um, the nodes and corridors. And when we see stuff is starting to happen in the private market, how do we use our public dollars to further catalyze that? Um, So that's really the goal. We have um, lots of priority growth areas, nodes and corridors, and not all of them will get that life breathed into them at the exact same time. So some of it is about understanding where is that about to happen and how do we help to capitalize on that with private investors. Yeah, Ryan and I have talked about it in past episodes. We're both big fans of kind of help kickstarting areas that are about to take off or They just have one or two barriers uh, that need help instead of trying to recreate the wheel somewhere um, because, you know, we can do that, but we need a really big budget to be able to recreate the the wheel. Definitely. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, So we talked a little bit about amenities uh, in our city. I believe you're also a part of the district planning steering team um, and kind of creating that overlap between growth management framework and district planning. Um, what what has been some of your favorite parts of being a project of being a part of that team? Oh, on the steering committee. I mean, I think it's just like a really um, really good way to make sure that our work is tied together. Number one, uh, so that we're not missing things with each other's projects. District planning is really going to be foundational for how we roll out growth management further in the future. Um, and so it's just really good to have those touch points, um, similarly with, you know, other major projects, but, um, but that one I I think is also fun because we have a great group of people around the table who are really interested in making sure that the best possible solutions go forward. Um, so it's been really fun to like tackle these new things together as a group. Yeah, it's, um, it's great to see all the different projects moving forward in tandem and with a lot of communication. Is there any way that our listeners can dig in or read some of the data that your team puts together? We do growth. uh, Yeah, we do growth monitoring. So we do have annual reports. Our most recent ones that were published a couple months ago um, are the first ones that incorporate the city plan district geographies. Uh, So it took a lot of heavy lifting from the team, um, crunching that data, making sure everything was in the right place to sort of reorient from the neighborhood pattern that we've used previously to to get those districts in place. Um, there's a lot more background work that goes into that than you would think. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. 
Um, and so we're really excited about that. We've also started to develop some uh, tools that look at where infill is happening. And, and so there's some internal work going on with that, but we're hoping that something can launch, um, you know, maybe next year that would be interactive and, and will help to, you know, show where those things are starting to take place as well. That's really cool. Whoever you end up passing the baton to, uh, please let them know. I would love to be notified when that gets launched and share it with all of our members. For sure. Uh, all right. Well, I really appreciate you joining us here this morning. The last thing we do is a call to action. Uh, so give you the stage to ask anything or say anything to our members. Yeah, well, I don't have anything specific to ask, but I mean, it's July. It's beautiful outside. Um, I would say get out. Uh, once you see that interactive map tool shared on the, the podcast, take a look at it. And whether you're you know, looking for a splash pad in a different neighborhood to take your kids to or a new off-leash area with your favorite furry friend, like go visit a park in a different area. Um, explore see what makes that neighborhood great because there are a lot of great neighborhoods in Edmonton and you know uh, nothing to really pump in particular on growth management that's still a work in progress there will be points where we need you know broader public input um, not quite there yet but you know start to notice the connections between where you live what the streets look like what's the infrastructure around you what services do you have nearby Think about what climate change might do to the place you live and the neighborhood you're in. And uh, I think as people start to notice all of those things, like, you know, I, I have a house that costs X, but my drive time to work is Y, like start making some of those connections. And then I think when you hear more about growth management, it'll start to make a lot more sense. Um, and I'm really excited about being able to see that brought forward more broadly with better understanding in the future. Well, thank you so much and congratulations on your new job. Thanks, Mariah. Thanks, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate your time. That was great. Well, I got to say, I was really excited about having uh, Lindsay on the episode. Um, you know me, I'm a big parks dork. Uh, she loved up to the hype. Yeah, she is fantastic. I've been in with her on a few projects that are quite controversial, uh, and she brings the room together or at least diffuses situations when the tensions can get high. I Yeah, I want to take the course that she took because like, clearly she was made to bring people together to find solutions. And think about how much better she's going to be now with that training or did the training you know, just kind of uh, establish what she was already good at formally? I don't know. I don't know how long the course would be, but I've known her for like two, two and a half years and she has consistently been fantastic at it. Like she is very talented. So yeah, that's why I was very, besides the fact that she's working on my favorite project, I yeah. was very excited to have her on. Um, I'm excited for her new, for her and her new role too. She sounded very excited about it too. By the time this episode airs, she'll have started there, I imagine. So we'll have to have her on again, like you said six more months talking about urban strategy. But yeah, the one thing that I was shocked about is, you know, the director in charge of uh, parks and open spaces has a black thumb, not even a green thumb. I thought it was like a requirement of the job. <laughs> I know. I think it's so funny that her and I had that in common. But while well, she talked about like she's in charge of policy and clearly she's good at bringing people together. So that must be why they put her in the, the position because... Yeah, she was doing a great job of pushing it forward. I'm sure there's lots of green thumbs under her that work uh, 
that work for her. So yeah, like you said, it's good that she brings them all together. The ecologist guy. I... The riparian ecologist, exactly. I bet I bet that person has the greenest of thumbs on her team for sure. Oh my gosh. I feel like you could learn so much from that person. Like Yeah. <laughs> even the fact that you knew what a riparian is or what it, it yeah, what it is, it blew my mind. The fact that I could say the word really helps, but yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Mariah and I were uh, before the episode debating on who was going to take that definition. And I can't remember what you said, but you did. You didn't even say the word. So that kind of ended the debate right there. Did you do that on purpose? No, I can't say it. I really appreciate you taking it. I was it was going to stumble more than I have. But yeah, I kind of had mentioned in the episode that I was taking plants from window to window in the pandemic. I don't know. Where do people get these skills before they move out on their own? Like how to take care of plants. Yeah, I think we're focused on like taking care of ourselves more. So the plants is different. I don't don't know. I feel like it's like a learned thing. I've like, I consider myself to have a green thumb, but I've killed plenty of plants. Um, The most recent one actually was uh, my wife gave me this plant and she like couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. She was like, moving it around different windows and it was doing okay in some and then it would and then it would kind of wilt and then she'd move it to another spot and it would do okay and then wilt um so i took it upon myself i was like okay i'm gonna like study this thing and i'm gonna figure out what's wrong with it and i like for about a week i was like testing it out in different spots watering it different amounts or whatever and then it like it never survived it died so i figured out what it was and we didn't poke holes in the bottom so it was like it was drowning we just kept watering it <laughs> and it had like a plastic container on it so it just like we just drowned this plant over and over again so when it went it got like nice and sunny and it dried it all up and it looked great and then we'd water it because you water plants and it, we would just continuously drown this thing so r.i.p that plant it didn't make it um, and i learned something very valuable so yeah it's you know it's they're, they're very finicky things these plants you know i wouldn't be too hard on yourself yeah well i uh i got a rubber tree plant over the pandemic i was in calgary and they have this gorgeous plant shop there called plant <laughs> if you ever want to drop a ridiculous amount of money on a plant go check it out i brought it back from calgary to edmonton and i named it Tony because I watched a movie while I was there called Green Book and there was like this guy Tony who was like Italian guy security guard this was back in the like 60s and he was helping this black musician tour around the south of um, the US and so clearly not a safe place for him and Tony was just like this fighter and got it done and so yeah so that's my Tony story and actually Tony is doing real well she's thriving. Tony, the tough plant is uh, surviving and thriving. That's excellent. You've learned from not having to move them around. So what is what do you think is making Tony thrive other than just being naturally tough? Well, every Wednesday, I have a calendar reminder to water her. Uh, the plant shop told me exactly how much to water her, which was fantastic. Uh, and then she needs direct sunlight to grow really tall. Uh, but I had her half in a window, half not. And so she has three branches and one branch is like really long and the other two are short. So I actually just recently moved her to a different window to like help her even out. <laughs> so she doesn't just like topple over. <laughs> See, it's just learned. It's just learned. You didn't know this when you moved out, but look at you now. You're keeping rubber plants alive. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. pandemic skills. <laughs> pandemic skills. Some people people made sourdough. Some people planted. Absolutely. So, um, the River Valley. We should talk about the River Valley a little bit. Uh, I know we just ran our last session of the ed- education program, and on day one, we always you know go around the room and introduce people, and we always ask what their favorite thing about Edmonton is, and like ninety percent of people say the River Valley. So that's why um, I was excited to have. Lindsay on to talk a little bit about that, but I, I thought you and I could maybe debrief. What's your favorite thing about the River Valley, Mariah? So every year uh, growing up, I went to what's called Partnership Run. Well, it's some people run, some people walk. I walk. <laughs> and it's a fundraiser that helps raise funds for projects uh, in Asia and Africa. And they build things like universities and park spaces and hospitals. Uh, and they've raised over $130 million uh, since the mid-80s to help projects move forward. And they work with uh, people local in the community uh, so that they learn how to like operate the buildings and keep it going and kind of empower them. So that is like growing up, my favorite, one of my favorite days of the year. We had water fights and there was a barbecue after and the burgers and the orange orange slices were excellent. Um, Yeah, it always took place in the River Valley. (laughs) What about you? Well, that's what I love. The River Valley is so many things like fundraising events and then all those little parks that you can have your barbecues at. I've, I've done a lot in the River Valley. I'm a big fan. So uh, I think I mentioned in the episode, my maybe I didn't, but my um, I grew up in a neighborhood that's close to White Mud Ravine, um, but I didn't really go to it much as a kid. But as an adult, I love it. So I like all these little arms and offshoots of the River Valley, but I feel like I've tried everything. I tried, I, a couple of years ago, I tried uh, mountain biking in the River Valley because it was like, you know, a thing to do. And I had a just an eye-opening experience. I didn't realize how hilly it was and how good the trails actually are for mountain biking. I was assuming this was going to be a little piddly, you know, a couple little humps here and there that I could catch two feet of air on and then like tell everybody about it for weeks. But it's remarkably challenging and hilly in there in some circumstances. And I had a wipeout that was crazy. So that ended that career. But I tried it. Um, I don't run. I used to run through the River Valley, not so much anymore you know, skating in the winter is, is awesome down in Victoria. I don't know, active things in the river Valley are always my favorite thing to do. I floated down the river, uh, lots of, lots of things in the river Valley that I think, uh, that I think people should look for. And I think that goes to what Lindsay was talking about, about balance. There's so much that you can do in the river Valley and it's hard to balance it out. Uh, I'm going to ask you though, what you, what would bring you to the river Valley even more? Um, I would like it if the paths were a little bit more like, non-sporty person friendly (laughs) (laughs) what does that mean um like i find like if they had more benches in there for people of all ages to sit down every like kilometer or two kilometers uh a bit of wayfinding so that if you get lost you know how to get back out maybe some more garbages uh, garbage cans like I don't think it has to be really drastic things but things to just make it feel so that you feel comfortable in the space it's a beautiful space but I think there's a few things that I personally would like to see and then I'm also really excited about the touch the water uh, project that I'm really hoping moves forward that'll have like a commercial space and lookout spaces benches hopefully a water park I'm re- I really like water parks and spray parks. I agree with you. I think, um, and the river valley is kind of like that already, but, uh, treating it the same as we treat city plan, I guess, 
uh, nodes and corridors. I would, and we already do do that. Like uh, the River Valley has all these little parklets and, and that type of thing that are connected. But like, it would be great to have these like really uh, busy nodes. You know, Rossdale Power Plant, for example, that would be this you know really big destination, and then you have these active and passive recreation trails that you want in there uh, through to get to your next kind of node or destination. I'd love to see kind of the destinations in the River Valley uh, improve or, you know, make more of them, I guess, because a lot of the parks are, are relatively the same that are connected there. So having kind of one that's a water park would be amazing. Could you imagine like a water slide directly into the river? Oh, that would be so cool. I actually, I really loved Accidental Beach. I wish we would have like... R.I.P. Accidental Beach. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but that's the kind of thing, like it, it, these kind of happenstance, uh, coincidental places that pop up in the River Valley. We need to strengthen them for sure. And yeah, R.I.P. Accidental Beach. We are lucky for a summer. <laughs> but there are a few other community places that have been popping up that have been fabulous. I don't know if you've checked out Park Allen lately, but some cool things is happening there. Yes, I live close to Park Allen. I have been there. Uh, Annie Rue Ice Cream, fantastic. The Colombian just opened a coffee shop there, taking over, I think, the space from Dapper Beaver, which was a coffee shop beforehand, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, they are a, it's a small little commercial center in the middle of a neighborhood, which is kind of bonkers. Like it's not on a major roadway, it's on all these local roadways, but you know. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's across the street from Park Allen School and Park Allen Park, which is an awesome park. They've got, I don't know if they have a splash pad. I think they do, but they've got these really awesome basketball courts that have good runs once a week. They've got the school and then uh, Epcor built like the stormwater management facility. And then a part of it is naturalized. Uh, they've got uh, like a community garden, the community center. It's an awesome, awesome park. And then your, your play structures. Oh, they have a little like kids motocross area as well where kids like take their bikes and go on these like you know dirt trails a little bit like a motocross thing it's an awesome park so i don't think it's a coincidence that these businesses are popping up across the street from that and taking advantage of all the people that are visiting these parks um have you been to that park or to uh, the new ice cream shop or columbia I haven't. I've been to Columbia downtown, uh, but I love when commercial businesses pop up in the middle of neighborhoods. They just feel like really community oriented. Uh, I'm sure in the summer, like the Colombian can open up a patio, bring people out, grab coffee, ice cream, go run over to the spray, par- spray park. Like grandpa can be watching you from uh, the patio of the Colombian. Like this is like, it's fun. Like that's the kind of spaces I hope we create over the next 10, 20 years through city plan. Yeah. Agreed. Now, does it depend on the type of ice cream that uh, is being sold? Cause I know you, you and I disagree on the types of ice cream we like. Yes. I think a hundred percent. First of all, it has to be soft serve. I love soft serve ice cream. It's one of my guilty pleasures is the Coen's at McDonald's. <laughs> likewise. Likewise. Yeah. The twist. Oh my God. They're so good. But I know I'm a huge kind ice cream girl. You're made by Marcus. That's right. The biggest fight in Edmonton. It's like basically the uh, like an Oilers and Calgary Flames type situation here. Yeah, it's the, the two big ice cream shops. But I'm just a big fan of the creaminess. I know the flavors are a little bit outrageous for you in some ways. But, you know, I think you just got to try it. Dill pickle and peanut butter. Get into it. Well, and they had waffles and, or <laughs> fried chicken and waffles this month. I feel like I'm just too easily uh, swayed into really adventurous flavors that I end up 
not uh, loving as much. I am actually truly a girl that loves like pistachio, mango, and vanilla. Those are, and coffee. Those are like my favorite flavors. And so, but then when they put on fried chicken and waffles, I'm like, well, I should definitely try that. When will I ever try that again? Where kind ice cream, they just keep it more classic. I, I, I'm not steered into these pickly ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, fair enough. But doesn't kind also do like flavors of the month or specialty flavors? Or are they just a little bit more subdued? I think they're just more like flavors that is predictable in an ice cream. So like Dunkaroos and they had Gay OK. I, I know they they sometimes have very similar flavor profiles, but consistently they're good. <laughs> so I'm not stressed about it. Why mess with a good thing? I get it. But I mean, I think you should definitely try both. They're both very good. And they're both, you know, local establishments at this point. Although I think Made by Marcus is from Calgary, but... Yeah, Alberta establishment. Yeah, local-ish, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and the way to make all of those uh, places possible is through infrastructure. So I am hoping that council supports infrastructure in this upcoming budget. Because through the growth management framework uh, process, we've identified things like power poles and grant opportunities for infill and redevelopment in priority areas. And I am very, very hopeful that that goes through. Agreed. And I think, you know, Made by Marcus, their, their one location is in an alley. So we talk about like power poles and now we're, we talk about alley renewal last time with Chelsea. Um, you know, it's not just storefronts on White Avenue or in these big situ or, or in these big like power centers. Kind is in Ritchie Market and now they have one in Highlands and, you know, Made by Marcus has a second location. There's these little ice cream shops popping up in Park Allen. So, you know, the infrastructure is not just major roadways. We need to think about all of them, the local roads, the alleys, everything like that. Yeah. And the park spaces. And the park spaces. Seems like we got an interesting a budget uh, upcoming. All right, Ryan, before we go, I want to give a huge shout out to Jesse, one of our listeners uh, that I believe you ran into. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I ran into him at a wedding, actually, and he said he listens. So um, appreciated, Jesse, and it was nice seeing you at the wedding. Jesse took our builder education program, what, two, three iterations ago? Uh, and has this gorgeous project going on in Riverdale, close to Dogpatch, if you haven't checked it out. Yeah, they do awesome work. Definitely, definitely check out uh, Jesse and Art House. All right, well, have a great day, Ryan, and thanks so much for spending your Friday morning with me. Yep, see you later. Mm-hmm.